Welcome to the C3V podcast. Only, yeah, only. If I do that, I'll get in trouble. So, oh man. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to the book of Revelation again. Um, I thought I was done with here, but we're back here. So, um, you know, suffer, suffer in your jocks, as they would say in Australia. Um, that's a very Australian, but I'll just stop, 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 stop. Uh, but Revelation 3, 20 to 22, uh, you know, I did these last, well, I've been in the book of Revelation for a little while here, but, uh, the last message that I did was, uh, from the church of Sardinia, uh, they're called Sardinians, um, or who am I kidding? They're the Sardines. That's the only way that I can think of them is the church of sardines uh and we saw that as jesus was speaking to them he was making a declaration that he was the one who holds the door open to our promises that the promises he made and have given us they don't go away but he stands there at the door saying when it's the right time i'll open that door and you can walk through not to just let it go and let it be in the past but i'm the one i'm the actual it's me it's i'm it's got nothing to do with you it's a promise that I made to you, and I take ownership of that, and I'm going to hold on to that, and I'll open the door when it's the right time for you. you all you've got to do is keep walking. Just keep heading towards the door, and at the right time, I will open it. And, I, and then we got in the bit where it said, when Jesus basically says to the church, hey, wake up. Now's the time to wake. You've got to wake up. I haven't finished work working yet. My plan isn't to the end yet. Wake up, stir yourself up a bit, and strengthen what remains. Strengthen what, what, what you look at is lost, that little bit that's left, that's more than enough for me to do what I need to do. What, that little bit that you have in your hand, that little bit of oil, those two loaves, those fishes, whatever it may be, that's what we're going to build on because this is what I know, that our future is never behind us. It's always in front of us. And he's saying, strengthen what there because I'm not done yet. Stop getting caught up in what is lost and what's been gone and what you're missing and what you think has been dissolved because strengthen it up. Stir it up inside of you. Fan the flame that's inside of you, Paul wrote to Timothy, because I'm doing more. I'm, I'm, we're keeping going. My church isn't over. It hasn't shut down. It hasn't been cancelled. It's not quiet. But God is stirring us back up again. We saw that it didn't take remarkable people. It just took remaining people. It took people who said, no matter what the circumstances, no matter the outlook, no matter how it looks, I'm going to stand firm on this rock and my belief in what you're going to do and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not packing up. I'm not shutting down. I'm not moving out of town. I'm not getting out of the city. I'm going to remain. I'm going to stay here until your promises come to pass. This is just last week's one. <laughs> and bringing our what remains, our accept, our empty vessel is our part, and the flowing oil and the reviving of our spirit, that's God's part. So that was where I thought I'd finished. <laughs> and God was like, well, you know, uh, you're kind of missing an important part. So we're going to look at that important part <laughs> In a bit, but Revelation 3, 20 to 22 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It's interesting there that that's like every evangelist's favorite verse. Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. And you must open that door. To say, right? And that's, <laughs> that's where they love that. That's, that's the one. That's the verse. That's it. But I think we can, we've got to realize that there's like a part two to that. And the part two is where, you know, I wasn't even going to go here, but Adrian inspired me and Tate, I'm going to bring Tate, who makes the best grain gravy. They inspired me on Thursday night and I realized that there's such an important part of this. The part is that Jesus says, open the door so I can come in and I can eat. Come in because I want to come in and I just want to hang with you. I want to sit at a table with you. I want to talk to you. I want to build a relationship with you. But we get stuck on, no, he's just knocking at the door. No, he wants to come in. He wants to talk. And here it says, I want to come in and I want to eat. And the Greek word of that eat there literally means dinner. Because dinner was the most important meal of the day. Breakfast was, was, was small wine bread. Good breakfast. Breakfast of champ champions. And lunch was normally on the go, but dinner, dinner was when you got everyone around you who you loved. Dinner was when you sat down. Dinner was when you talked, you chatted, you fellowshiped, you reminisced, you talked about your day. This was like dinner. It wasn't quick and fast. It was like pack them in like Adrian did. All together, no room pressed up against the wall. There was a time there where I was like a chair came out and I was up against the wall and I, was thinking, I, was, I didn't think I was getting home on Friday night. But it's a slow-moving time of fellowship, enjoyment, affection. It puts, and trademark is pen pending, it puts the unity in community. Thank you. That's, that was my, that's literally the greatest three, three words I've ever come up with in my life. <laughs> We're going to put it on balloons or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, and Jesus is saying, I want to eat. Why? Because tables matter. All throughout scripture, you find that tables mattered. And I love that Fletch put up a picture that he stole from someone else, but I'll give him the credit anyway. And it said, if you're doing better than someone else, don't build a bigger fence, build a bigger table. And that has to be our call as a church, is to build a bigger table. Because tables matter all through scripture. The widow saw the prophet coming and said, if I can just prepare a table, it'll give him a place to sit. If you want a prophetic word to come, if you need God to speak, then prepare a place for him to come and rest and sit and speak because tables matter. Psalm 23 says, you've placed a table before my enemies. Like, it's all coming against me and you know what? I'm so relaxed in what you're doing that I'll just sit here and eat in front of them. Because... Tables matter. They position us. They Tables give us perspective. Tables help us celebrate the present. And it's around a table that Jesus says it's, it's to remind him of him. That this table is a... Man, we should be having communion today. It's, this table is in... He says, this is what identifies who 
I am. And let me give you a great story about that. In, in 2 Samuel, there's a story of Mephibosheth. Try and say that fast. Mephibosheth. Try and spell it. Autocorrect couldn't even work out what I was saying. Uh, I couldn't either. But he was the son of Jonathan. Jonathan was the best friend to David. And Jonathan was also the son to Saul. So Jonathan, was he, he had the right line. He was in the line of the king. He, he was set to have it all. Mephibosheth was in the right line to have all the honor and all the prestige. And everything was set up. He had, as we would say, he had a future and a hope. And then one day the enemy attacks and Saul and Jonathan are killed and as the enemy's coming, they pick up Mephibosheth and they flee, they run. And as they're running out, he's only a little baby at this time, the nurse trips and and drops the baby and Mephibosheth becomes lame in his feet. Mephibosheth is crippled through something that was no fault of his own. His life was changed through nothing that he did. What thought was going to be a future and a hope and a projected line, now because someone else, I put this, he was hurt in a fight that wasn't even his. Man, I've seen people in church get hurt through a fight that isn't theirs. That you get offended because someone else is offended at something, it's got, and you're not, but you're hurt in a fight that wasn't even yours. And he's wounded. And eventually David says, David says this, is there anyone left? Is there anyone left of Saul's family who I can bless? Because you've made a promise that said, man, I'm going to bless your line. So Mephibosheth comes before the king, David brings him up, and he says, I'm not worthy. Right? We can get so caught up in the consequences of our flaws that we think we no longer have a place in front of the king. And he says, I'm not, man, my brother at the tame table when we were kids, he was, I've seen don- donkeys that were less will- willful than him. Donkeys are less stubborn than my brother at the dinner table. I'm the opposite. I would be like, hey, whatever's going, I'm just here for fun time. He was like, I'm not eating that. And my parents would say, come on, just eat your, eat, eat your peas. He'd say, I'm not eating my peas. Right? And they'd say, just, you know, just have a couple of peas. I'm not eating my peas. I'm not doing it. Well, they'd say, well, you're going to sit there until you eat your peas. And he'd be, fine. I'll sit here and I'm not eating a pea. In fact, I'm never going to eat a pea for the rest of my life in spite of you. And he would sit there, so willful, so determined. I swear, if we still lived at that house, he would probably be still sitting at the dinner table now just to prove a point. And we can get so willful in the consequences of our flaws. You know, it's like the Israelites said, said to uh, God in the desert, you can't, can you even make a table in the desert? Like, come on, like, just come on. You, let me put it like this. We can think that we are so broke, broken that promises 
no longer apply to us. But here is Mephibosheth, set now on a different path in life, thinking that all the blessing had passed him by, all the promise, all the privilege had now passed him by. But a promise had been, a promise had been made that he wasn't even aware of that said, your family will be blessed. Your line will be blessed because he remains faithful. He remains faithful. And God brings him out of a place of brokenness and places him back in a place of promise over a prayer that he didn't even know, over a promise that he didn't even know about. He was a baby when that promise took place. He had no idea. And I love I just love the, image, the imagery of it. Because it says even at the end of the story, after Mephibosheth gets everything restored, it ends like this, and he was lame in three feet. You see, he didn't get healed. His flaws didn't just get pushed aside. He had to make a decision to get himself up every day. And when... David said, no, you are worthy to sit at my table. You will eat like a son of mine. He had to make the choice that in spite of his flaws, that he would get up and he would drag himself to that table every day because it had been a place set for him. And as he got in front of the table, you see the table, it covers our imperfections. It's the table that gave him a place. It was the table that made him look exactly equal as everyone else. Looking in at that table, you couldn't see the difference between the son that was crippled and the king's son. Everyone was equal. It's the table that covers our imperfections. And every day he sat there like the son of a king, equal. Pastor Phil, when we were in Calgary the other week, he said this, the power of God moves through people who acknowledge weakness and knowing here's the answer. It's that pulling ourselves to the table. It says his grace is sufficient for me and I know what's going on under here, but up here I can sit knowing that I'm one of the, as the son of the king. Mephibosheth names means this, dispeller of shame and that's what the table does. The table dispels our shame that we say, no, but I'm weak or a lame or you don't know what I've done. And he says, no, you can sit at the table because I've prepared a place for you. This is what we've got to understand, that for 1,500 years, the center of the church was the table. It wasn't a pastor. The pastor wasn't the product. It was the table. It was the table that brought people together. It wasn't amazing worship services and special lights and smoke machines or sermons with witty illustrations or a great kids program or any of those. It was the table that connected people together and it was in whether they were being blessed or broken or giving, it was the table that connected them all together. It was the stories around the table that bind us together and together we find out that we're not the only one who's been going through something. Together we find out that there's other people with lame feet underneath the table. 
we find out that there's others dragging themselves in. God, I just need your grace today and sitting themselves at the table. And Jesus goes on in this and he says, to the one who conquers, to the one who perseveres, to the one who keeps going when it looks rough, to the one who beats the battle, to the one who sticks, to the one who remains, I will grant him a seat on my throne. You see, we have this imagery that a throne is like a one-man seat. We've just seen in the Queen passing and the new king that it's like one man on one seat. And, and, you know, it would probably be a little awkward if you said to King Charles, hey, do you mind if I sit on your lap? It probably wouldn't go down well, you know, you'd be thrown away. But these thrones, they weren't single people, single bottom seats. Single bottom. Making stuff up as we go here. More like, it's going, it's going well, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Thank goodness. You, you started this. Push me down this line. Uh, it, was, it, was more like, it was more like a couch. It's more like a sofa. Well, let me put it this way. It's, it's broad and it's wide. That's the seat that Jesus is saying, hey, there's heaps of room here for you. To the one who, you keep persevering and I've got a seat right here. It's like, it's like the, the opening scene of Friends where they're all hanging over the couch like that. That's, that's what he's saying. That's what he wants. He's saying, come with me and I've got there. I'm prepared. You come and you sit with me and let, it's not, it, let's not just eat. Let's eat and then let's move to the sofa. Let's eat and then let's just, now we're just hanging and chatting. This is great. It's a reminder that he is with us. It's a reminder that he's not planning to rule alone. He's saying, come with me. Come and sit with me. Let's talk. And then he said, then, it's, I, this, this bowls mine. He says, as I also conquered. It's a reminder that he has been through it too. He's identifying, saying, I, he's saying, I get to be like you. Catch that. Like I went through it, you've done it too. We're connect- this connected. He's a, I've been through it too. We come to him and say, God, I'm suffering. And Jesus says, I, I know. I, I, I had that too. I, I went through suffering. Oh, I've got the pain. Oh, yeah, I, I went through that too. God, I'm experiencing such loss. He said, I, I get that because I went through that too. He's saying, you and me, we are connected. We are together. You're, you know, he's saying, yeah, but I've been let down. I've been betrayed. I've, I've got disappointed. Yeah, I get it because I went through all of that as well. And as you become a conqueror, it's like oh, I was a conqueror. If you just keep going, not your will but mine, and we just stay and we remain, he says, we get to be exactly the same. We can do this together. Together. See, the letters to the seven churches, really, they're just, they're such a representation of stuff that we still face today. The the dangers of if you lose your first love, of being afraid of suffering, of, you know, getting off sound doctrine, to losing your morals, to spiritual deadness, to not holding fast, to being lukewarm. These are all the things that Jesus said to the churches here. 
But they all have one thing in common. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And seven times he says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church because God's talking to his church. And as we eat at the table and we sit at the throne, it builds a relationship and we get to hear him speak. John 15, 15 says it like this. Jesus says, no longer, I love this scripture, no longer do I call you servants. Servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because sitting and eating builds friendship. He's not, he's not looking for spirit chasers. Oh, I heard that God's in this mean meeting down, down the road. Maybe I should get down there. Oh, hang on, I heard he was out in South Surrey. Maybe I need to get out there. No, he's in West Vancouver. I've got to get out there. No, I heard of this great meeting in Abbotsford. And you're running all around trying to chase where he's going. He's not looking that at. He's saying, sit and eat with me and we'll be friends and you will know my voice. You don't need to be out chasing me. Jesus said, follow me. Not, catch me if you can. You know, there's no scripture. And the disciples came out and said, where is the Lord? And he jumped out from behind a bush and said, ah, you couldn't find me. He makes it really clear where he's going and what he's doing when we have an ear to hear. He wants to let you in on his success. It says the word became flesh because the word wanted to be friends. He wanted a relationship. And when as you start to see, see you can pick up the voice of a friend even when they're not in the room. If Susanna was out in the lobby being loud and I was in here, I would know it's her voice even though I'm not in the same room. Because we know each other. I know there's friends that you know the voices of. You don't have to, you can go, oh, that's where he's over there. Okay, okay, we can follow along. As we get closer and we begin to know his voice, we start to hear the words and read them correctly. So many times people hear the words and give them the wrong application. The, the sign's up there and you read it all wrong. I've got a sign that I'm going to put up and this really signifies what have happened. There we go. There's the sign and are you reading it right or are you reading it wrong? You don't matter, give up. Okay, thanks for the encouragement. Or is it you matter, don't give up. When we know his voice, we know what he's saying. He will always be consistent with himself. He's not trying to lead us to confusion. He's not saying, well, however you take, take that, that's what you're going to get. No, when you start to know, it's such a terrible thought. When we start to know his voice, we know who he is. We know that he's for us and not against us. We start to pick up things. It's a, in this ever-changing world, he remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. You start to know how he moves. You start to know how he operates. You start to know how he leads. You start to know where he's going. No longer are you chasing after an unknown God. You're following a friend. 
in 1 Kings 18, Elisha prays, and Elisha prays because he says this, I hear the sound of a rushing rain. He says, I, my spirit is stirring. We're in the midst of a drought, but I can hear what you're saying, and you're saying rain. I'm, I can hear something. that my, You're speaking to my spirit. The spirit is speaking, and it's saying rain. And although we're standing here in the midst of a drought, I'm going to pray for rain. I'm going to do it. And it says seven times. You see, sometimes in the, when the Spirit speaks, we think it's going to be instant, but there's a bit where we just have to keep going back and keep reminding and saying, you know, and there were two things. The, the servant came and said, there's nothing there. And Elijah said, go again. And I think that's the two different people that we can be. We can either be the people who hear something and pray and say, well, there wasn't anything. Or we can be the persistent people who say, no, we're going to go again. We're going to go again because I hear his voice. I hear what he's saying and he is saying rain. And then it says it's only little and it's off in the distance. But it's there. Seasons of perceived unfruitfulness can actually be the seeds of your future harvest. That in that persistence, and when everyone's saying, they're praying for rain, nothing's happened, it plants the seeds of your future. That's why Jesus had to say in John, he said, it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh, it's no help at all. Because sometimes we get in situations and we think we've got to work our way out of this. If I can just get this plan together, if I can just get this right, if I can get things all lined up, all my ducks in a row, I can work myself out of this mess. And Jesus just went, no, no, there's things that only the Spirit can do. Situations that only the Spirit can change. One, one, one version says this, it's the Spirit who sustains. Because when you're in those periods like that where it's in the drought and you're praying for rain, and it's time, and you're four times into it, and there's still nothing there. It's the spirit that sustains. It's that scripture that you heard that stirs up, and you think, no, I'm sticking by. It's the stirs up, oh, I've got to strengthen what remains. I'm here, God. I'm planted. I'm holding out. You're going to do what you say you're going to do. You can make a way. You can make a river. You can do what you said you're going to do. It's that. It's the spirit that sustains us through. It's the word. God, I remember I was in that meeting and they prayed for me and they said this. And God, I haven't seen it come to pass yet, but I'm standing here and I'm standing firm and I'm believing. And your spirit comes alive at the sound of it and it's what sustains you through the time. It's the song that when you're feeling so bad and you don't even know what you can do and all you can do is kind of stand and say, and that song that you remember stirs up and it's the spirit that you're worthy of it all. God, I don't know what else to do. This is it because it's the spirit that sustains you through the time. It's the spirit that sustains you through the drought. It's the spirit that comes alive when it hears the sound of rain. And Elijah, Elijah moves on from that and it's like the future of it. He goes down and he finds Elisha. 
Elisha, the next generation. Elisha that picked up that something had changed in the atmosphere and said, man, I need to get to work here. I've got to do something. Something's changing. He didn't say, right, I need to go to school. He was just like, something's changing and what is around me is what I've got to do. He saw the season was changing. He felt the storm brewing. He said, there's a cloud and there's rain coming. You see, Elijah saw a drought and prayed. Elisha saw a field ready for seed and put his hand to the plow. See, God will call us, but it's the Spirit. It's the Spirit that will call us to pray, and it's the Spirit that calls us to plant. We just have to be listening. Just got to be listening. God, what are you saying? Where are you going? I hear the rain. Do you want me to pray for drought, or do you want me to put my hand to the plow? Wherever you're calling me, God, I'm ready. I'm just listening. Let's just walk this out. I know you've gone through it and you've had tough times, but we can do this together. I don't know if you know the story of Willie. Probably don't because I haven't told told you yet. Willie uh, was a man in the early 1900s, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, and I can't bring myself to say last century, but back then long time ago and the church was doing what the church was doing but he heard a sound he heard he heard the sound of rain he didn't know what it meant but he heard it and he said God I'm listening whatever you need me to do I'll do and Willie he was ba- Willie had is very unfortunate because his last name was Seymour um and Willie, Will, Will, this, this is how God, God works sometimes. <laughs> Willie was blind in one eye. It's a really ironic name when your name's Willie Seymour and you're blind. Willie? Willie Seymour? I don't know. He's blind. <laughs> like, it's rough. Sorry. Bad jokes. <laughs> but he knew that, that God wanted to move. He knew that God wanted to pour out his spirit. He heard the sound of rain. <laughs> and so Willie, they said, hey, we've got this little thing going in LA. Do you want to come along? Do you want to come to that and look after the people? And he said, sure. So he said, God, I'm listening. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. He moved from Houston. He moved to LA. He got there. People weren't big fans of Willie. Willie was sharing a message that God wanted to pour out his spirit. And when he turned up to the building they were meant to meet in, it had been locked up because they didn't like him anymore. And Willie didn't know what to do. Willie was like, but, but he kept on going. He kept saying, God, wherever you're leading me, I'm going to keep doing it. I believe what you want to do. I believe you want to pour out your spirit on the church. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to strengthen what remains. I've got a little group here with me. We're going to keep going. And then so they moved they moved to a different street and they found a different building and the building was nothing special. The building, the LA Times said, it's a rundown shack, being nice. They had to literally get the horses out of there before they could have a meeting. It says the meetings, the people there had flies all around them. <laughs> there was no platform. There was no podium. It was just someone who said, I hear 
the sound of rain. And as Willie opened up the doors on 312 Azuzuza Street, within a year, there was a thousand people there. Within a year, there were people pouring in that they had to stand outside because a man heard the sound of rain and said, whatever you need me to do, wherever you need me to go, I'll go do it. And whatever it looks like, I'll stand there and say, no, I hear the sound of rain. They can basically break it down now that say there's been over 631 million people affected by a run-down shack in L.A. Because the Spirit says to the church, and here's the news flash, you're the church. It's not the building. It's not the place. It's not Jesus standing outside a door going, hey! It's the Spirit speaks to the church. He speaks to us. And so my question as I wrap up here today is this, what is the Spirit saying to you? What, what are you hearing? Because I believe we're coming into a season where the Spirit wants to speak to His church again. You see, I've been in a few meetings of late, and I hear this word, and it's a word that I've never heard before. It's fallow. Not follow, fallow. And this may come as a shock, but I'm not a farmer. Or know anything about it. But I kept hearing over and over again, fallow, fallow ground. Like, that's the weirdest word I've ever heard. Never. And then, you, like, in 40-something years, I'd never heard the word. And then you keep hearing it over and over. It's like, hey, the Spirit's trying to say something. <laughs> Can I pick up? Can I listen in? Can I catch a hold of what you're trying to say through weird old words? And then as you look it up, you realize this, you realize that fallow ground is ground that's had time to rest. That it had been worked before, but then there was a period where no work happened on it. And I think, man, are we coming out of a season where it was fallow ground, where what had been planted before just needed time to rest? And the Spirit begins to stir. Bible says this, that there's food for a poor man lies in fallow ground. Everything you need is in that ground already. You just have to rework it. And maybe there's a time now, a season coming where we need to rework the ground that would work before. That the Spirit says it's time for the fellow, the fellow ground to reproduce. It's time for all the seed that's been planted in good ground, it's time to toil over it again and see what it produces. Because the Spirit speaks to the church. And I believe that that word that was spoken over you, He's going to speak it again. That scripture that He put in your heart, He's going to speak it again. That prayer that you prayed that no one else knows about, He's going to speak to you again. The prayers, the prayers that have been prayed about you that you don't even know about, he's going to speak them again. This morning, I just want to make some space. We've got five, ten minutes here. For just that, for the Spirit to speak.
I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how this message sits with you. I don't know if you came in here saying, God, I'm looking for a sign that you'll speak to me today. Well, I guess this is that. Because this is what I know. When he speaks, the devil flees. And when he speaks, water becomes wine. When he speaks, the storms around us, they calm. When he speaks, the blind see and the deaf hear and the mute speak. When he speaks, the paralyzed, they walk. When he speaks, the dead, they rise. This morning, what is he saying to you? What are you hearing? What's that word that maybe you're trying to run from? But now there's a guy standing in front of you saying, listen to that word. Listen to that sound. Maybe you're here saying, I hear the sound of rain. And I don't know what that is, but God, I'm going to plant myself and I'm going to keep going back until I see it come. So why don't you stand up here this morning? Why don't we just turn our... Thanks for listening to the C3V podcast. To find out more about our church, visit us at c3v.ca.